0: Welcome to the Diplowoman Podcast, where we will be talking with and about incredible women mediators, facilitators, negotiators, ambassadors, peacemakers, peace builders, and more. I am Karma Ekmekchi, and I will be your host in this journey of mainstreaming the Women, Peace, and Security agenda into our lifestyles, with a focus on the Arab region. The Diploman Podcast comes to you in collaboration with the Isan Fars Institute for Public Policy and International Affairs at the American University of Beirut and is made possible by the generous support of UN Women. The Arabic subtitled video edition is available on the Diplomen Podcast YouTube channel. We're thinking out loud. With Her Excellency Zinab Twimi Benjaloun in this sixth episode of the Diploman podcast. Zinab is a UN career diplomat. She was a previous UN resident coordinator in Albania and in Kuwait. She was also the regional director for North Africa for the United Nations Fund for Women. She is currently a consultant on gender equality, sustainable development, and women's rights. Zinab, thank you for being with us today as a guest on the diploma and podcast.
1: Thank you, Karma, and thank you for the invitation. I'm very happy to join you today and have this conversation with you.
0: Thank you, we're very excited to learn a lot from you. To start with, I mean, tell us a little bit about your journey. You are a woman from the Arab world who had a whole career at the UN. I often get so many questions from young women uh, who are inspired by the UN and want to have a career and ask me how can we get our foot in the door so tell us how did you start and what can we tell them
1: well karma that's going a long way back and um, hopefully I'll be able to remember how it it all happened (laughs) so even as a young child, and uh, I grew up in Morocco, in Rabat, in fact, and I uh, did my primary and my secondary education in Rabat. And uh, even as a young girl, I was always interested in gender equality issues, wondering why there was such injustice, because I couldn't do certain things because I was a girl. Or, uh, However, I you know, I did go to school, and I was encouraged to go to school. I had a father who believed I should go to school and uh, and that I should pursue a higher education and a career. So it was, I, was, I had a very supportive environment uh, to the point where I was allowed to go to school in the United States. And at that time, I mean, we're talking about 1976 and there were very few Moroccans, let alone Moroccan women who went to college in the United States, most Moroccans had the habit of going to college in France or somewhere in Europe. Of course, a Francophone country. country. It's a Francophone (laughs) country. So I was going a long way and uh, I went to college. I did my bachelor's in sociology and I did, I remember my thesis on, on gender equality, actually. My thesis was on, I was very um, thoughtful about you know, the differences between you know, the, 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 the issue of feminism and its various and different uh, differing manifestations in different cultural contexts. Mm-hmm. I was trying to put to- uh, together to, 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 to combine and to, to come at peace with my American education, if you like, and my Arab background. And so my thesis was about feminism, Moroccan style. And, and it was quite advanced
0: for that time to be speaking about something like this, no? I mean, it was yeah. avant-gardist in a sense for you to in, write in a way,
1: It was very interesting. Actually, very recently I, I found I was doing some, some uh, rearranging around the house and I came across my thesis and I sort of started leafing through and I realized that many of the issues are still issues. It was a socio-anthropological study of various uh, different Moroccan women from various walks of life, urban, rural, poor, rich, educated, non-educated. And in terms of their their life stories and uh, their battles, their issues, their concerns. So that helped me sort of pull together sort of an idea of what feminism means in a Moroccan uh, context. So, and, and did
0: this, and has this thesis sort of like a stepping stone to get you to your first job, let's say?
1: Oh, definitely, definitely. I mean, after this, yeah, uh, I went to, I did my graduate work in uh, international affairs, international development, and that was my stepping stone to the UN. Uh, uh, I had done my bachelor's at Harvard and went to Columbia for my master's. And uh, and we have that connection, so and we have that connection. There you <laughs> go, our <are> Sipa friends.
0: <laughs> this is like a shout out to all of our Sipa friends.
1: That's right, and I don't know if you uh, during your time, but during my time, part of the credits that we had to get was practical experience. So of we course. had to do an internship somewhere. Sure. We so did that. I did You did that too. Yeah, that yeah. continued. That was very. I mean, that was the you know, stepping stone into my job because I did my internship with INSTRA at its interim headquarters in New York. amazing. INSTRA is the UN International Research and Training Institute for the Advancement of Women, which had just been established at that time and was meant to move to the Dominican Republic, but was at, at, when I was at Columbia, it was uh, functioning on an interim basis in New York City before the move. So that's where I did my internship and that was my second year of my master's and then after I finished my master's I was recruited as a consultant and the rest is history and And the rest is history but we (laughs) want to talk a bit more about that history so you got
0: your first job you landed your first job you call your parents you say I'm not coming back to Morocco guys how did they take that how did they take that tell us
1: no actually they were I they were su- uh, surprisingly supportive I don't know why I should be su- uh, why I was surprised but they were very supportive and uh, so I worked for about a year with Instra in New York and then uh, moved with them to the Dominican Republic so I participated in the establishment of this institute in this UN Institute uh, in the Dominican Republic and in fact Instra is one of the 4 UN organizations which m- were merged in 2010 to constitute UN women.
0: So there was UNIFEM, like we said, you were the regional director for North Africa. Yeah, that was, was
1: UNIFEM, INSTRA, OSAGI, the Office of a Special Advisor to the Secretary General on Gender Equality. And uh, UNIFEM, OSAGI, INSTRA, and DAO, the Division for the Advancement of Women, which was- based- They all
0: merged in 2010 to create the UN agency, a new UN agency yeah. uh, they, they that's now uh, known as UN Women UN and women. support the Diploma and podcast. So thank you, a shout out to them as well. Although this is sometimes a cliche uh, a subject that we talk about, especially with women. I mean, men don't get these questions but how was your work-life balance going on at this stage? I'm assuming you're in your early
1: 30s, late 20s. I was in my late 20s. I was in my late 20s. Well, I mean, it was very um, interesting. I mean, it was very exciting, uh, you know, being in the Dominican Republic, being part of this team that was establishing this institute uh, on this issue, on the issue of gender equality, which was very dear to my heart. I was working with some very special people, very, you know, motivated. I mean, it was uh, it was an incredible experience. And um, but then a year and a half into my uh, in my uh, into my stay in the Dominican Republic, I woke up one morning and I said to myself, listen, Zainab, you were supposed to return to Morocco after your graduate work. That was the deal that you had, because at that time I don't know how much well it's the manifestation is different now for this generation, but our generation was very nationalistic. We were going to participate in the development of our countries and we were, you know, we were going to return. And at that time, most Moroccans returned to Morocco, actually. Very few Moroccans stayed abroad. Now it's different. But at the time, you know, uh, you know mo- most people return. So I just decided on the bat. no, I had to do it. I was, if I stayed any longer, I would never return. I returned to Morocco and actually I was extremely lucky. When I got there, there was a vacancy uh, for a program officer post at UNFPA at the Morocco office. Okay. So I applied and I got it. And uh, which was very nice, so I was able to have my UN right. And all
0: you, you had country. your blue hat on. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that's how I started with UNFPA, where I call UNFPA sort of my formative years mm-hmm. uh, as a young program officer. That's where I really learned programming. Where that's where you know it was very, uh, very, very formative. And that's when I got married and had my two children. Your two daughters. So, uh, my, my two daughters, yes, yes, <laughs> I have two daughters. Now <laughs> they're adults, but uh, so uh, and then after that, um, after that, uh, I, I moved to UNIFEM, which is the United Nations Fund for the uh, UNIFEM. had did not exist in, in Morocco at the time, but they had decided to open a gender advisors office for Morocco, Algeria, and Tunisia based mm-hmm. in Morocco. So it was like, okay, this might be interesting. I mean, first of all, it, it'll be a pure focus on gender equality issues, which was, mm-hmm. of course, my passion. Which we're going to
0: talk a little bit more about later, because I want to see, you know, when you fast forward 20 years, where do we stand on some of the issues you worked on 20 years ago? I'm curious to, to learn a little about that. It's so...
1: so um, so that was, uh, that, so that was interesting because that was a stepping stone in my, to my, back to my international career mm-hmm. because uh, I reverted back to an, an international civil servant because I was covering three countries and, exactly. uh, and that gender advisor office actually uh, developed from a gender advisor office to three countries uh, to a program coordinator office. Why? Simply because there was so much demand at that time for UNIFEM support that Mm -hmm. we couldn't just be advisory. There was demand for programmatic work, for support to- uh, Field work, basically. uh, You had to be on the ground had to be on the ground. At that time, uh, in these countries, women's issues were taking on some important, you know, some uh, attention, grabbing more attention, lots of attention. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was an area of reform, there was a lot, the the women's movement was becoming stronger and stronger. So we were getting a lot of support from the women's, uh, getting a lot of requests from the women's movement for support for the reform for their advocacy work for the reform of laws. And in fact, in Morocco, for example, we supported the whole process of advocacy for the reform of the family law, which is uh, in an Arab Muslim context, as you know, is critical for women's status. I mean, it all starts there. And if you don't fix that, uh, nothing can be fixed. Right, right. Of course, you
0: you know that family law,
1: personal status law. Yeah, you know what that is. Cornerstone of a society. But, we worked on the nationality law, on the penal code, I mean, things like that. But let, right. me, let me ask
0: you this. Um, you know, these are these, the most basic issues that, that women face in, in mainly Arab countries. Ha, were those issues that you, you worked on and succeeded in advancing, like the nationality law or the family law? Did they lead later on into more women in representation, in high-level decision-making positions, in ministerial posts, in uh, parliament, in uh, um, ambassadorial level? Did, did you, do you feel like these allowed the, this was the foundation for the, these women to be able to advance in those positions?
1: No, I think that they do help. It liberates. It liberates. It liberates. That's the that's an operative
0: word, liberate.
1: It liberates. It liberates. Because if you have issues such as, uh, you know, for example, in the old personal status life, we take Morocco as an example, mm-hmm. where uh, a woman uh, needed to obey her husband. That has been removed. And that is very meaningful, mm-hmm. symbolic, it, not even only symbolically but in real life i mean if you owe obedience to somebody that means you're a subject a woman goes from the 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 guardianship of her father to the guardianship of her husband she's never an adult
0: yeah no agency you're 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 not giving her no
1: agency right so if when that is removed that's liberating that means that she can make decisions, her own decisions, that she can move forward. Uh, another thing that was changed, uh, woman's access to divorce was facilitated.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Before, for a woman to get a divorce, if the husband doesn't want to give her a divorce, she could, it could go on forever, mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. And it really had to be, you know, real violent incidents uh, that had to be proven over and over again. It was really, really difficult. And one of the, the 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 reforms that were introduced by the family law was women's access to divorce was facilitated. A form of divorce was introduced, sheqaq, okay, where a woman could ask for a divorce and not have to give a reason. Just say, I mean, we just don't get along together.
0: So, I mean, you worked on these issues. And as you said, they were entry points to liberate uh, women. But I look at the Arab world and there's so much discrepancy between uh, the countries in the Arab world. Right. So Morocco may be very advanced in these issues. Uh, others may still be lagging behind. Um, so we really I don't know if we can look at the Arab the women in the Arab world, all of us at the same you know, from the same um Uh, 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 a lens of challenges that they are facing. But do you see what unifies us? What does it really unify us? What is the challenge that is currently unifying us, Arab women in the region, that we can work on collectively?
1: Well, it it remains our legal status.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, that is clear. Because even with the reforms that took place, not only in Morocco and Algeria and Tunisia and, you know, in other countries in the Middle East, whatever. I mean, Egypt, Jordan, I know that reform did, but it was not total reform. Right. Uh, it's so still very much th- rooted in the
0: patriarchy, in the patriarchal yeah. norms and exactly. patriarchal society.
1: And that unites us because our personal status codes uh, emerge from the same principles, from the same sort of source. And we have to, in order to change them, uh, there are many sensitivities. There is a lot of, uh, there are many stakeholder, different stakeholders, which who need to be consulted, who need to be convinced. Right. Mindsets have been formed around these uh, inequalities, if you like. And so these, This is a common battle, and in fact, in fact, I mean, one of the very exciting uh, um, initiatives which uh, we supported when I was uh, uh, the head of UNIFEM for for North Africa is um, uh, uh, an initiative called Egalité Sans Réserve, Equality Without Reservations. Uh, reservation It was sort of a, a network of Maghreb and Mashrek NGOs, which who came together to advocate jointly for the lifting of reserves, to, to reservations to CEDAW. Which meant that laws at the national level had to be reformed first before the countries could lift the reserve, to, uh, the reservations to CEDAW. So why did these women come together? Because they saw a common challenge, because they saw that we had a common challenge to face and that we needed, you know, they, by working together, by advocating together, they could, you know, achieve a greater, you know, purpose or greater results, basically. They could learn from each other, share the experiences, see what works, what doesn't work. So that was actually very, very exciting.
0: I wanna tell our listeners, is there like a secret formula uh, that is, what is it? Is it a combination of luck and education? Is it education and networking? What is it that gets you in, I mean, and and keeps you there? Um, Because really a lot of our uh, listeners often ask us these 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 sort of questions and um, we wanna hear it from you.
1: No, well, I mean, how do you get into the UN? I mean, everybody has their experiences. I recounted my experience, basically, you know. uh,
0: But what advice would you give? What's something they should focus on more than something else? Yeah,
1: well, I think what they need to, what people or young women or young men for that matter, uh, with their interest in the UN, if they're interested in working with the UN is, one of the things to so try to volunteer with their field offices at the country level. Now I'm talking about the Arab world, so you know we. In, yes, we want to in focus Arab on the Arab country. World. In every Arab country, there is a UN office. Uh, I mean, there are UN agencies. Depending on their interests, I mean, they can approach these uh, these agencies, see if there are any internships, uh, you know, uh, available. Um, volunteer to do work uh, get involved basically uh working with ngos depending on your field of interest of working with ngos gives you very important experience and very valuable experience for the un um developing your networks people who know you who know your work that's very very important so I think those are three things that are, you know, to me are very, uh, are, uh, are essential and helpful. And I look at it as myself, you know, how I got in, but also the kind of people that, are, that I recruited as a manager throughout my career. So it's usually, you know, in my field, it's often people who, who've worked with uh, NGOs uh, on the issue, who've been very mm-hmm. active, uh, who I, you know, I've seen their work outside of the UN. So, you know, that, that was an added value. Uh, who have volunteered, who came in as interns and uh, proved themselves to be, you know, really, really valuable. And who are able to, to, to connect and network with different people and, with, you know, and different, uh, you know, departments and able to, you know, show their value and demonstrate their worth, basically.
0: That's very that's very useful advice. So you moved around quite a bit though, after you got married and had these uh, two lovely uh, girls, uh, you have to move again because of your career, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And again, I don't want this to sound like a cliche question, but it's a reality. I mean, many of us uh, uh, think twice before we apply to a certain job, go to a certain job because we feel like maybe we, you know, We can't pick up our families and, you know, our partners may not want to move and and all that. And and, uh, I think here we need to also address a little bit the men listening to us and, 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 uh, you know, give us a give them a few a couple of uh, our own two cents of of how they can be helpful in advancing our careers. What was your experience in this?
1: Well, my experience, uh, well, very interesting. So I started as an international working in New York and then the Dominican Republic, but then I there I was single, so it was not uh, an issue. Then I decided to return to Morocco and I did get married and had children. And the agreement with my husband, who was very supportive, I mean, I have uh, no complaints uh, on that level, on the contrary, uh, he he was very supportive, and I have to admit that uh, even the marriage took place because of a certain mentality. We understood each other on a certain levels. So he was very supportive and very proud, but we were realistic. Basically, it was like a discussion. Okay, yes, after a certain point, you are going to be asked to 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 rotate. I mean, that's. The name of the that's game a deal. that's the deal yeah. that's the deal however he has a job and he has a career as well right okay so how do we balance these two my career his career his career is in morocco okay my career if it's, it's everywhere going to develop is going to uh you know have to go beyond so the issue was is this okay fine let's wait until Try to stay put until the girls get their baccalaureate (laughs) or high school diploma, Mm -hmm. and then they go off to college, and then, you know, then you can go wherever you want, and uh, I will join you. He would take early retirement and join me, basically. So that's how it was. And I was very lucky, you know, because I, you know, after UNFPA, then the UNFM regional post opened and the regional office. So that gave me an international opening, but at the same time, I was based at home. So, you know, I did not disrupt the family. Yes, I was traveling a lot, I was absent a lot of the time for sure, but at least they were stable. Uh, And, you know, my husband was able to pursue his career. Now, after that, then the girls, you know, uh, the girls had their baccalaureate, they're three years apart, and it was like, okay, now it's time to start thinking about moving. I was uh, proposed by UNIFEM to pass the the RC assessment, which is an exam or sort of an assessment that all potential resident coordinators have to take to see if they are suitable to become resident coordinators. Mm -hmm. So I passed the assessment. I took the assessment and I passed. And so now I needed to be posted. And uh, I was uh, chosen for, I applied for Albania and I was selected. And then it was like, okay, my husband, well, the agreement years ago was that you were going to take an early retirement and come with me. And it was like, he was 55 and he was like, you know, I really don't want to stop my career now. And I have to say, I understood that. I mean, uh, you know, and it's not so easy for it to, you know, in other countries, to go to a country and find a job- Of course. For the spouse of a diplomat. Sometimes it's not even, you know, proper, you know, especially I'm the head of the UN in a country. I won't, I can't promote my husband to get a job. I mean, that's not done and that's not correct. So it was like, okay. Okay, then we said, uh, you know, at this point, we'll, you know, we'll have, uh, you know, he'd stay in Morocco, I went to Albania. And of course, we tried to see each other as much as possible. Every six weeks, it was not too far. Uh, so, you know, we managed it that way. Every six weeks, either, you know, he came to Albania, or, you know, I came. But, so you made it, That's it. Made, it That's made it work. We made it.
0: It's the commitment of making okay.
1: it work. Yeah. Basically, you make it, you know, I mean, if you believe in it and if you are committed, you just, you know, make it work, as you say.
0: So, I mean, I'm sure you were found, at, you found yourself at some points in in situations where you were faced with incidents and you thought to yourself, wait a minute, this is happening to me because I'm a woman. This probably wouldn't happen to me if I were a man. Uh-huh. Um, tell us. An anecdote something that happened to you in the workplace that you felt like this is happening to me because of gender.
1: <laughs> well, there are some funny incidents actually um, at the very beginning uh, of my career and not with the UN actually when I returned. Uh, when I returned uh, from the Dominican Republic to, to, to Morocco. Before I got the job at UNFPA, I was applying to other jobs because, you know, uh, I was not certain that I would get the UNFPA job. I had applied to this private sector, multinational, it was actually a multi, I think I could say that, it was a multinational. And here I come with my Harvard and Columbia diploma, two or three years of experience at the international level. And they were very happy to receive me but uh, what they had to offer was a secretarial job and i just said okay well is that all you have to offer yes i said well thank you i you know thank you very much for receiving me but uh i could not take that and the guy actually said well you're not going to find anything better wow <laughs>
0: Maybe find his email and shoot him an email and tell him what happened after that.
1: <laughs> and that was shocking. I mean, even at that time, it was shocking, you know, I mean, that would, uh, and this was a multinational, you know, but, okay. And then there was this international organization, I mean, non-UN, it was, uh, I had applied there and I had done my homework. I mean, the work was interesting. I had looked at their recruitment procedures, their uh, salary scales, things like that. So, you know, I knew more or less, you know, what to expect if I got an offer. And so I went through a series of interviews. It was done very well. I went through a series of interviews and uh, and got to the big boss. And I was sitting with the big boss and, you know, he was very happy to receive me. Said you have a very good profile, good experience, whatever, we offer you this post uh, and uh, with this salary. And I'm like, well, because it was 50% of what I expected. Of course. Or of what I knew people of the same grade were getting, men for that, you know, young men at that. it was half. And he saw the shock in my face. He goes, well, what, what do you expect? I mean, did you expect to receive the same salary you got at the UN, you know, as an international? I said, certainly not, you know, I was not expecting that but I was, you know, expecting at least- Parity, at least, uh, you know. <laughs> with my, with you know, my I male didn't peers. Tell him. I didn't tell him that, <laughs> I at least this amount, which was you know, what I knew they they were giving to young men or young professional men. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: he goes, well, if that's your minimum, what's your maximum? And I said, well, it's up to you, sir. (laughs) (laughs) He was saying, "Yeah." yeah. I guess he thought I was obnoxious, but
0: you know. I, <laughs> yeah, and this is this is you know this is an issue that we face uh, every day as women, especially in the region. And still,
1: well, and it still. is very
0: much. It is very much. Yeah. I mean, you'll you know you you talk to friends, you you go to coffee, you talk to your male peers, and uh, and you you suddenly find out that somehow you know with the same level of expertise or even more, you get paid. Less. and i think we need to start talking about this you know we should crush this taboo that you know uh, of course men are going to be paid more because they're the breadwinner i don't think you know this is this is uh, an argument that flies uh, at all uh, it never did but i don't think we should uh, you know let it or allow it to fly anymore and uh, and uh, it's i think I'm, I'm 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 seeing more and more women being able to speak about uh, about this and i'm very uh, you know glad that you raised this issue uh, because it's such a pressing issue and um, uh, girls always feel or women feel like you know i we shouldn't talk about money right there's always yeah, this yeah of it's course difficult. It's like Church. how do i bring up the subject how do i say this is not my market value i deserve much more but i think we need to you know mentor more and more young women to be able to have the courage to speak up about about this uh, this issue. So thank you for for bringing it
1: up. Definitely, thank you,
0: um, Zinab. You are a member of the Mediterranean Women's Mediators Network, and mm-hmm. actually, that's where we met. Um, mm-hmm. And. Uh, um, that's where I was inspired by you, in a sense. Uh, and this is how, you know, I felt this, uh, this cosmic connection that brought us together. Uh, but you are in this network because you believe in peace building, in mediation, in conflict resolution. And we come together as, as women uh, from uh, the region uh, with similar challenges. Um, with, 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 with a challenge that we are not very present in. Peace talks and peace processes and conflict resolution in a neighborhood that really, you know, is failing uh, miserably and bringing peace to its people. So, um, what's your take? I mean, we know what the literature says. We know what you know. We we know what is what's proven and what's not. But in your own words, you know, what do you? How do you see the value that a network such these kinds of networks bring and what do you think we should be doing together to push more women uh, from a younger age to be engaged in, in dialogue and peace building?
1: Yeah. Well, from, for me, it's very, it's simple and it's complicated. It's very simple because I know we have so many talented women in this region. I mean, I've worked with the women's movement in this region throughout most of my career i know how how competent they are i know what they've done and what they are capable of doing so it's not a question of competency it's there we just need to open the doors and you know as in the issue we've done it elsewhere for example in the in the area of political women's political participation you know we we were always told but Women don't want to, to, to uh, you know, uh, to present themselves to, you know, political office. They, they, they don't get involved. They don't. As soon, as soon as quotas were applied, the doors were flooded. And that, I've seen that happen over and over again. So I really think we have no choice but to, to, to establish uh, you know, quotas in this area as well. I mean, women need to be at the peace table. They have so much, not just because they're women. I mean, that, that's not the issue. But what they have to bring, the knowledge, the, the, the competencies, the, the expertise that they have. Ooh, the and the emotional intelligence, maybe a little bit of emotional intelligence that we lack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, emotional intelligence uh i mean they just need to be there i mean the world needs its women the world needs Uh, to be inclusive yes 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 definitely definitely and i think we just i mean if we can advocate for that for the establishment of quotas at various levels of the peace building process and uh if we can uh you know, protection, we need to protect our, uh, protect our women peace builders. I mean, that's essential. And uh, we've seen it happen, and happen uh, you know, over and over, happen over and over again. So, I mean, these are sort of like steps that need to be, t- they're not simple, of mm-hmm. course, mm-hmm. because there are, you know, consensus has to to, to, to to come around these issues, but I think it's essential because it's not going to happen automatically. And it's not going to happen, you know, uh, simply because it's been just very slow. When you look at the you know, statistics on women's participation in official uh, peace build in building and negotiations for peace, there are very few, you know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A last message that you want to uh, leave for our listeners. Advice, a thoughts, a quote, something that you want to share with us.
1: Well, I would like to tell the young women and men who may be listening to us that, you know, uh, we've come a long ways. I mean, if I look at my generation, if we've spoken about the story of my life in this podcast, okay.
0: (laughs) So in in a very short period of time, so we're not doing you justice, but we're doing (laughs) our (laughs) best.
1: No, no, you've done quite well, Karma. So. A lot has been accomplished. We've come a long ways, but there is still a lot, a lot to do. Uh, we haven't uh, advanced. I mean, when I look back 30 years back, uh, 40 years back, what my ambitions, I thought, you know, by 20 years, of, when I was 20, I thought that gender equality was going to be resolved 10 or 20 years later, max. Well, no, it's not. Uh, we've some major gains have been made. I mean, in, in the education area, if we look at the Arab world, in the education area and the uh, health area, but employment is a disaster. The employment right. is a, a catastrophe. The legal status is leads. There's still a lot to be done there, and um, I think that the world uh, right now uh, just needs more of its women and its men to work together. And uh, if men and women do not work together for equality in the home, in the workplace, in public spaces, uh, I think we're going to continue um, seeing all these conflicts and all these uh, issues arising and all these unnecessary uh, obstacles to, you know, people's well-being.
0: Zinab Tuimi Benjaloun, thank you for being with us on the Diploman podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Karma, and thank you for the invitation. It was my pleasure. <laughs>